This week, I turn the tables on a man who is used to asking the questions. Alan Kohler joined me on Discipline, and we discussed his incredible career in journalism and how he turned his writing into a tech business that, while still seated in business journalism, was, in my view, ahead of the curve in terms of distribution methods, including paywalls and content. Alan talks with me about disruption in the media and what he sees coming down the line. Alan should know, he's been in journalism for over 46 years, including stints as the editor for The Age and the Australian Financial Review. We also talk about the importance of consistency, brand and people. Ah, the people question. Most of the good and most of the bad in business comes down to people. Alan has seen it all in business, including his own, and this week's episode of Discipline is an armchair ride with an incredible businessman and an incredible business journalist. Alan Kohler, finance presenter ABC, talking business interviewer Qantas, business editor of The Australian and editor-in-chief Investmark Group Limited. Welcome to Discipline. Thank you, Tony. Uh, Now, it's putting no finer point on it to say that you have over a sustained period of time uh, traverse business, journalism, and entrepreneurship. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I had no idea until I was a teenager, and I decided I want to be a journalist uh, because I liked writing, and that was the good. That was the only thing I was good at. So, and why business then, in particular? It was kind of accidental, really. I, that's where the job was when I got a job <laughs> in the Australian. The vacancy was in the business section, and so that's um, that's kind of where I stayed. And you and you started there as a cadet. Yep, um, in 1970. It's a few years ago. Found yourself then at uh, the Australian Financial Review down the track as well? Eventually, yeah, that took a while. I, was, I joined the Financial Review in 79. Okay, and ended up at the Financial Review as their editor. That's right. And what, in your makeup, landed you that role? Was it something you, once you got into journalism, wanted to be the editor-in-chief? Not or? particularly. I didn't really... Uh, aspire to that, um, uh, but I was plucked out of writing and brought up to be in management. And wh- why do you think that was? What do you think was in your makeup that made you uh, a good fit for management? Possibly better ask the people who, uh, who chose me. But I, look, I, uh, I suppose I had leadership qualities. I mean, management is leadership, and I guess uh, the feeling was that someone who was good at the at the process of whatever it is is going to be okay at leading. Yep. others to do it. Were you, as a child, uh, had leadership qualities that Absolutely. anyone had noted? No. Right. <laughs> I don't think. No, I don't think you could say that. No? So you've been plucked sort of from writing <laughs> into management. Um, was there anything else that they've I've, said? I've, I've, I've gone backwards and forwards between management and writing. Yep. You know, I, I was editor of the Fit Review for three years and went back to writing for them, and then became editor of the, of the Age. Yep. For a while, went back to writing. Um, you know, so it's kind of um, been a journey of not one thing or not the other. And talking about transitions, then you've gone from behind a keyboard to in front of a camera at some point as well. Um, how how did you make that transition? How did that come about? Uh, oh well, um, uh, after I finished up as editor of the Age in '95. Um, the ABC approached me to join the 7.30 report as a uh, business and economics commentator. Yes. Um, so I thought I'd do that. And again, just plucked from uh, 
obscurity or at the time obviously well known in business. But well, they obviously thought I was possibly. I mean, I'd never done it in television, but they obviously thought I'd be able to do it, and it was actually quite a lot harder than I expected it to be. In terms of the just, writing, just, and no, no, just being t- television journalism is quite different to writing. Writing yep. is a very solitary pursuit. You sit there in front of your typewriter or your laptop and you write something and send it in. But if you're in, but doing TV journalism is a team effort. So you're actually working with a producer and a TV, uh, you know, a cameraman and a sound operator and an editor, and there's a whole kind of team of people who put it together. You yep. might, you might be the centrepiece of it but so I kind of found that an interesting and um, uh, yeah good process is there anything uh, in the writing or presenting storytelling um, method that you enjoy more one over the other or you oh look I feel very lucky to be able to do both yeah it's great bit of variety it's fantastic I feel uh, I feel very lucky indeed Um, in terms of some of the things you've done from journalism and crossing over into digital media um, you seem to have been ahead of the curve on a few of these things. So presenter at the ABC, uh, de facto podcaster or podcaster with your um, work and in-flight series on Qantas, your newsletter with Eureka Report, 24-hour news cycle with Business Spectator, paywalls for subscriber-based content. Is this something you've actually seen from all your business writing? You've thought there, there are trends here or uh, lucked into some of these things well, I started uh, Eureka Report 2005 uh, because um, I saw the need for well, I th- I th- what I thought was a need for um, some kind of something independent for investors as an independent source of advice. Um, I started off uh, proposing, thinking that I would do it on paper. Yep. So this was 2004 when I was working on it. I, th- I, I thought it'd be on paper, and it did. I couldn't make the I couldn't make the business case work. Yep. It was too expensive. Didn't really. I couldn't make it stack up. So I thought, well, I'll have to do it online because it'll be cheaper to deliver it. Yes. And those were dial-up days. Yeah. So, um, way in particular, the the uh, customers, the, the subscribers to it, were all the old people. Yeah. Who were not even used to the internet, and so what they tended to do was to to download the the uh, product and print it. Yep. Which was what I was trying to achieve, really, in a way. I was trying to get them to print it rather than me print it and send it to them. Yep. Um, and that kind of worked. I mean, uh, obviously, over time, people, more and more people got on broadband and the internet became more um, uh, more, more uh, ubiquitous. And um, so, you know, the Eureka Report worked. And then in 2007, we decided to, um, and uh, we're here at the ABC, and we're doing this interview at the ABC and there's... A bit of passing traffic. I hope we don't mind that. Um, uh, 2007 um, thought there was a need for a, a fully online publication, yep. a financial publication yes. to take on the financial review because at the time the financial review was kind of struggling with the online the changing, changing and it was media. charging 1100 bucks a year yep. that, uh, for the subscription, which I thought was quite expensive. Yes. So therefore I thought there was an opportunity for someone to come in with something free to try to, to you know, try to get their market, so we uh, we got some investors and did the Business Spectator in 2007. And now we were lucky because that was the beginning of the GFC, and over the following 12 months, 
there was tremendous amount of interest in what was going on in America. Yep. And we were, because we were online, we were publishing 24 hours a day. And so um, when people got up in the morning and they wanted to know what was happening or what had happened yes. overnight on Wall Street, um, they couldn't find out from the Financial Review because it was a paper thing that had been put together last night. Yep. Or, you know, yesterday. So uh, our product, the Business Spectator, was up to date yep. in the morning. And so we got a lot of traffic in those, in those days. And then converted it into paid content down the track? Business Spectator was free all the time. We were, the business model was advertising for yep. that. Eureka Report was subscription. Um, we were able to convert a lot of the traffic on Business Spectator into subscriptions to Eureka Report. So yep. that was kind of another way to, uh, to monetise the, the Business Spectator traffic. And we sold that whole business to News Corporation in 2012. Yes. We'll come, come to that in a bit. I think one of the things I really wanted to uh, broach as well because I, I find it fascinating and they say that politics is one of the three things you don't talk about at the dinner table, but it's essential at a podcast. So you've been at the ABC, the Australian, the AFR and the Age, um, and successfully managed to operate on both sides of you know, the political spectrum, um, remain apolitical and objective. Has that been a hard thing to do? Not at all. Oh, it's just the way I am. I'm not, I, don't, um, I think the job of a journalist is to, to be apolitical, to not bring, to, to basically play, tell it as you see it, uh, to analyse, to try to do your best to tell the truth. And have you ever been in a situation where that has landed you in the hot seat with someone saying they want a particular slant on no, something? No, no never? never so what do you feel now when you see the likes of CNN and Fox, for example, and to some extent Sky or The Guardian here in Australia, and they've made a commercial choice to take a uh, political side. Oh, I look, I, I look at it with interest. I don't really have much of a point of view about it. Um, yep. You know, I'm assuming that the people who run these things aren't idiots, so you know, they know what they're doing. So you've obviously made your career in journalism without taking a side. Do you think that's easier to do or as easy to do now as it was in your day? Oh, look, I think, I think, as you know, I work for the Australian and I think they regard me as their token left winger and I work at the ABC and they regard me as their token, <laughs> token right winger. Yeah, nice. So, you know, it's fine. So with some of these me- movements you've seen in the media, what are you seeing now in terms of uh, changes that you're forecasting for the future? Well, I think the um, obviously the media in general has been disrupted by the internet, profoundly disrupted. Um, the, uh, uh, the newspapers lost their classified advertising to to the online players. Yep, sick car sales. They um, uh, they took up the entire classified advertising. That has left the uh, Fairfax papers in particular without much to uh, much revenue. I mean, they've had to rebuild. They've had to cut down. Uh, cut back their um, uh, their costs a lot. Yep, which they did savagely, uh, and then and now they're rebuilding. And I think that you know, uh, Fairfax, for example, is hiring again. Yep, and so I think they've kind of been at the bottom of the J curve, and now they're on, on their way out. back. Um, that's newspapers, but I think TV, uh, freeware television, is about to undergo the same disruption. Yep, um, and I think that uh, radio. Is possibly a little way off, but they're also going to be disrupted by podcasts. Yes, um, hence why we're here. 
Well, we're a podcast. This is a podcast. I do podcasts. Yes. Um, so, you know, I think uh, that will disrupt radio at some point. Free to wear is being disrupted by subscription television. Yep. Um, and uh, television by app, which is the way it's going now. Yeah. They're so saying I, uh, Facebook could be one of the biggest TV uh, content delivery mechanisms in the future as well. They're saying that, and sure, and YouTube obviously is is uh, posting, putting up billions of uh, hours of content yeah. all the time. So, you know, there's YouTube, there's Facebook, uh, there's various subscription services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, Stan in Australia, you know, um, HBO have got their own app. So, look, the the, the, um, the free-to-air television, television in general and cable television is being disrupted right now. Completely. And so uh, that's the next phase of the internet's disruption yep. of media. And as I say, I think the, uh, radio's next. Do you look back on uh, some of those grand old days of journalism with uh, rose-coloured glasses and think uh, what you see now is just a shadow of... Uh, some of the journalistic qualities that uh, we once had look, here I, in Australia? Look, there's still a lot of really high-quality journalism around, I, you know, and I think that it's a credit to those who, who are doing it. I, it's just a different world now. I mean, there's just not enough, not much money around. It's harder to make a living as a journalist yep. than it used to be. Uh, there aren't as many jobs as there used to be. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously when I was a kid, uh, a cadet and coming out through the 70s and 80s, it was a golden time for journalism. There was tons of money around and uh, plenty of jobs. Yeah. I just want to take you back again from you jumping out of journalism then into the business world. Um, was there something in you that, I mean, obviously you saw the opportunity, but was there a belief when you did that that you thought you'd be able to pull it off? You, you thought you could build this business? or Well, I didn't. I don't, didn't and don't see it as jumping out of journalism into business. It was just the business of journalism. It was an extension of what I was doing. I, yep. uh, I had been in management leading a, leading the, the journalism and the financial review and the age um, as a part of a large company and I kind of uh, couldn't see any why, why you wouldn't do it in a small company yep. uh, and have a crack at it yourself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see it as leading journalism at, at all. In fact, the whole business was based on quality journalism, really. Yes. Um, it was just a matter of raising some money, yep. getting the business going yes, and doing it. Yep. And was that easy to do, uh, raising the money and bring on some of these shareholders that uh, were colleagues of yours uh, at the time? Well, the backing that I got in the in initial stages was from a couple of investment bankers. Yep. Um, uh, that wasn't difficult, um, partly because I gave up too much of the business <laughs> I was a, I was a bit of a babe in the wood, really. So I, I wasn't. I didn't drive a good enough, hard enough bargain. Yep. Um, so the you know the money was easy to raise. I didn't actually drive a bargain at all. So yeah, that was fine. And then we raised some more money to do Business Spectator. So yep. um, You know, and then running the business was kind of not too hard. It was a matter of hiring people. Yes. Getting the right people around you, that sort of thing. I noted uh, that you brought on um, like Robert Gottlieb's and one of your shareholders in Australian independent business media um, and you guys both bring some really nice flourishes of storytelling to the, the business journal, journalism, which can quite often be a bit of a dry area. Um, is that something that is reflective of your personalities or is that a deliberate effort to try and engage uh, the audience a bit more? Oh, well, when I, um, 
I, I, I travelled during the mid seventies. I travelled overseas and came back to Australia in nineteen seventy eight. Got a job in the Age, and uh, when I did that, uh, as a, I was just a business journalist on the Age, and I tried to um, uh, figure out who I who I would kind of be like, uh, because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be the best journalist I could be, and I wanted to kind of find somebody I could model myself on, and I was reading other newspapers. Uh, Bob Gottlieb was writing for the Financial Review at the time on the Chanticleer column, which he'd started in 1974. And um, and I thought that his way of telling stories was the best. Yep. You know, he uh, it was marvellous journalism. You know, he, he really made the whole business world live. Yes. Uh, so I decided I needed to copy him. So I did that sort of thing, tried to do that for the age, uh, and Bob noticed and offered me a job. Great, yeah. And so I kind of... Joined Bob on Shonaclear. Yep. Um, and he kind of made me his uh, uh, understudy and then successor. And so I learnt from Bob how to do it. Yep. Um, so there's, it's no coincidence, really, that we're a bit similar. Yes. Um, because he taught me. Yep. And with this uh, content, then, I mean, when did you first understand that you could take it from something dry and turn it into something? more palatable and digestible and monetise it? Was that something that happened gradually or you've seen uh, a light bulb moment where you thought, no, this has changed fundamentally? Oh, look, I've always known that, you know, um, people want to... People enjoy reading and they want to read stuff that's easy to read and pleasant and, you know, um, is entertaining. Yeah. People don't like... People don't like particularly reading PhD theses or theses... <laughs> Or oh, government I know, reports. I know, you know a few that do. You know, like it's not what you, we're not. No. We're not there producing a government report. We're producing a piece of journalism, which yep. is there to be read by ordinary people, um, and to convey something to them that they will find pleasant to read. Yep. So that's what that's what I try to do. And in business journalism, I'm I'm curious to know what interests you more than the story, uh, the money, the company, the personalities, or a bit of everything. Oh, look, the good thing about business is that it's through a whole of life, you know, like it's, um, there's no aspect of life that isn't touched by money, by, by business, by the economy. Um, you know, and the privilege that we have, that I have, is to be able to kind of translate what is a relatively difficult subject for a lot of people into hopefully something that they can understand. Yep. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do. But from you, from you personally, is there any stories that you enjoy telling more than others? Uh, oh, well, you know, the most, the best stories are about the people. Yeah. Um, and that's why I like doing the Qantas interviews um, because, you know, once a month I sit down and do a dozen, talk to a dozen people. Yep. About their lives. Yes. And, yeah, what, they're, yeah. and what they're doing and it's great. I yeah. Love it. Yeah. Likewise. Um, what about your brand? So, you know, was there a point... You've become an identity through working at the various well-known mastheads and on TV. Was there a moment where you realised you had a brand, uh, Alan Kohler, and that you could leverage that? Uh, yes, there was. I couldn't tell you when it was, but I kind of uh, did come to understand that um, that I had a brand. Um, and what I mean by that is simply that um, uh, my, my my name has a meaning. It, it means people – and what I kind of uh, – try to do is to ensure that um, when someone reads something that's got my name on it, that they know what they're going to get. 
and it's consistent. Yep. So I think the, the important thing to success in life in general, particularly in business, is to be consistent. Yep. I often look at um, you know, products in the supermarket, you know, a Snickers bar or something, whatever. Um, the Snickers bar is always the same. Except it's getting smaller. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> but, but you know Costing what I mean. more and getting smaller. Yeah, you know I, do, I, mean? I do, I do. A quality brand yeah. means that it's always uh, consistent. Yeah. And, and there's no surprises with it, you know. So what I'm trying to do is to ensure that there's no surprises with people. People know what they're going to get with me. Yep. That they'll, they'll be attracted to seeing my name and they'll want to read it because they know that there's going to be something decent there and, um, and there's no surprises. So if you've got a person or a business that wants to build a brand, have you got any advice that you'd give them apart from consistency, something they need to actively do? Well, just that it, it takes years to build a brand and a minute to lose it. You know, you just—it is um, such a uh, such a powerful but fragile thing. Yeah, a brand, and you need to be conscious of that. Yes, uh, and to consciously build it. That is to say, and, and the other thing about it is, a, a brand is not the surface of the marketing. A brand is the reality of what it is. A brand is the, is the, is deep. Goes deep, values. Goes deep. It has to do with, you know, uh, um, I mean, it's, it, yeah, values, yes, but it's really to do with the product. It's got to be, it's got to be good for a long time. Yep. And it's got to be what people are expecting. Yep. And they can't, you can't bite into a Snickers bar and, you know, suddenly get Turkish delight, <laughs> you know, one day. It's got to be the same. Yep. It's got to be good. Yep. What about uh, someone? Who's looking to leverage media? If you want to have a good brand or a good story, and they maybe wanted to get some PR equity, what sort of things do you notice about uh, smaller businesses or brands that, that pique your interest or attention? Um, I, I think that um, well, small businesses I think have to, have to use what they've got. Hopefully, what they've got is a story of their own of themselves that is. That will resonate. Your own backstory. Yeah, yeah. Will resonate with people, and I think you know if you've got that story, you should tell that and, and use that. Um, if you haven't, if you're you know if your story is boring and it's not particularly worth telling, then you've got to find something else. Yeah, that's going to uh, prick people's interests. Yeah, I mean it's it's got to be. But the thing is, whatever it is, it's got to be authentic and genuine. Yeah, um, you'll get found out otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go back to your entrepreneurial journey. So you've been very well versed in business and you've sort of alluded to it before. You've stepped out of management into something and described it as not being too difficult a journey. But as a business owner, were there things that challenged you um, not having the safety net of a big company or corporate around your regular paycheck? Yeah, of course, every day. And it's very difficult, very challenging and scary to start a business for sure. Yep. Man- you, don't, you don't have the safety net. That's right. Managing people, different approach when you've uh, got your own show? Absolutely. You've got to, in a way, be both um, more more, con- more congenial and more ruthless, in a way. Because if you've got a small business, you can't afford to have dickheads or people who are passengers. Yep. You can't afford to have them with you. However, we're in a small team. It's it's more important to 
have a good team environment yep. where everyone is inclined to put in because, you know, you, you need people to be able, you know, to be prepared to, to go the extra mile when you need it. What you don't need is people kind of showing up to work at nine and going home at five and, you yep. know, basically... Not pulling on the rope hard enough. No. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of a juggle in a way. You've got to, uh, you've got to create that environment um, that is a congenial, good team environment. But on the other hand, you cannot afford to put up with um, passengers. Yeah. Now, you mentioned also the uh, being a bit green with the raising of money um, and maybe selling down a bit too early on some, or getting your valuation a bit light for uh, raising money. Is there anything else that you look back on you think, oh, I should have done that differently? Most of my mistakes had to do with um, hiring people, you know, the wrong people. Yep. Um, being a, I mean, look, but most of, the, most of the great things I did were the people I hired too. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's really all about the people, to be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, it is important to get the right backers, uh, not just for the money, but for the people and who they are and whether they're going to be able to work with you properly. Um, and did you get that right? Do you have any uh, tense moment with shareholders or backers? Oh, no, I think I got it right. I mean, they're, they're still my friends. Um, you know, years later, uh, that that was fine. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. I, look, the it's it's really the, the mistakes are the people. The best things are the people. Yeah. You know, uh, that's kind of it, really. Um, how can you avoid mistakes? Uh, look, I, I've come after a long time of this. I've come to view the the best recruitment tool is the probationary period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It's, you can't really know yeah. until well, you get them on board. That's the old saying, uh, hire slow, fire fast. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've had a, a good successful exit with uh, Eureka Report and Business Spectator in 2012, um, had a good return. Um, why continue after that? Why not uh, smell the roses, go in a different direction, just the love of what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Well, I enjoy it, but... Um I like what I'm doing. It's great. I mean, I actually started another business um, called The Constant Investor in 2016. Yes. Which was uh, what I wanted to do with that was to try to do a business or have a business that I owned 100% that I didn't have investors in. Um, so I put a fair bit of the money that I made from the sale of the business into that. Yep. Uh, but it didn't really work. I sold it. I sold it to Investmart, which ended up buying Eureka Report. Yes. So Investmart, Investmart bought Eureka Report from News Corp. Yep. I then went off and started the Constant Investor. A couple of, year, couple of years later, um, Investmart approached me and to buy Constant Investor, to put it together with Eureka Report, and um, I did that. What about some levity to finish off with then? Uh, who's your favourite comedian? My favourite comedian? Uh, oh... Well, the guy I really like watching is Stephen Colbert. I watch it all the time yep. uh, uh, on YouTube. It's great. Um, yeah, so I, f- I find him very funny. I'm, I'm not a big comedian sort of guy apart from apart from him. I like um, uh, Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Uh, Did you like John Stewart as well? That's sort of saying. Oh yeah, so yeah. Stewart, John Stewart was great. Yeah. I used to watch the Daily Show all the time. Yep. Um, don't watch it uh, since he left, but now I'm. On, uh, I'm all over Stephen Colbert. Yep. Uh, what about tennis player? Tennis player. Uh, uh, why do you ask about tennis players? Yeah, I'm just curious. So, 
Oh, well, Federer. I mean, what a magnificent athlete he is. Yep. Just incredible. I'd say it's Nadal, really. I mean, all these, I, I admire all these tennis players are incredible. What about favourite band? My favourite band, uh, all times Pink Floyd. Yep. <laughs> what about um, your most memorable smell? Right. <laughs> My most memorable smell. Oh, it's hard to. Um, one smell I really remember is uh, when I was a scout, boy scout. Uh, we used to go on hikes, and I smelled this smell one day. I couldn't figure out what it was. It was just appalling smell. <laughs> and um, we went over the hill and found that it was a dead cow. You know, it was a sort of. Um, you know, it was the first time I'd smelled a, a dead animal. Yeah, the smell of an animal. So uh, that was bad. That's horrible. Um, who is the person, dead or alive, you would most like to have lunch with? Uh, Leonard Cohen. All oh, right. What's next for Alan Kohler? Oh, just more of the same. More of the same. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying life. Great. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights, and thank you for being on Discipline. Not at all. <laughs>